You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Hello and welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast, episode 31. Uh, I'm Ryan Kirksey, writer and contributor for the site. So I'm joined by Cameron Crane for this, this special episode. Cameron, I hope you are bundled up. We are going somewhere really cold today. Yeah, well, I mean, it's relatively cold here where I am. It's not as cold as it is, um, you know, in upper Alaska. Right. And we're going to talk about True Detective, Night Country, episode one. Since you started with this, I would have mentioned now, no one's dressed warmly enough. <laughs> you know, I'll you probably... Like sleeping in shorts and t-shirts and stuff, like, what are you doing? Maybe I'll mention it again. It's one thing when they're inside, okay, right? You've got, yeah, you know, yeah. you've got heat in your house or whatever. I'm saying when they're outside, they're not dressed warmly <laughs> enough when they're outside. You know, and I, and I feel like, well, I guess maybe we have to forgive this because, you know... Um, you want to be able to see people's faces and stuff like that. It's a TV show. But, <laughs> um, I, I might tie that in later. I have some thoughts about it. Anyway, so uh, again, not to get too far out of myself, we're um, meeting today to talk about the first episode of the new season of True Detective. We're both excited about this. We're both fans of True Detective overall. Um, and we're going to get into this over the next, you know, six weeks, uh, I believe, right? Six episodes? Six episodes, yeah. yep. Uh, that's right. Uh, and so um, we're meeting here today prior to when the episode is aired. We're going to put this out right after the episode is aired. Uh, and so just to let everyone know, we are recording this early. I do want to hit on the one one news item. So we're going to forego our usual kind of news and notes on, on this one today. Um, you can listen to um, Tuesday's podcast where we talked about Fargo. Um for kind of news of the week. One thing we talked about there was casting announcements for The Way Lotus season three. And like shortly after we recorded that podcast, before we'd published the podcast, it was officially announced that Carrie Coon is going to be in it also. And I wanted to mention that because I love Carrie Coon immensely. Yeah, HBO veteran Carrie Coon. I mean, leftovers, Gilded Age. She is uh, back in her wheelhouse here with White Lotus. I mean, man, I, I just, <laughs> this, is, this is a great addition. We talked about Parker Posey. We talked about Michelle Monaghan. We talked about sort of this top line, strong female cast. This is this is fantastic. I mean, I just I can't okay. wait for this. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before. Nora Durst is in my list of favorite TV characters ever. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. You know, so like, I'm, uh, totally on board for this um, and really can't wait now for the new season. Yeah, so the start filming soon. We mentioned in Thailand, uh, there's rumors, you know, there's sort of a theme each season. There's rumors that this season is going to be about religion. So, I mean, imagine these women were philosophizing there in Thailand about who knows what, but uh, Carrie Coon says in this article you found that she gasped while reading the script. So, whether that's, that's a PR common or, or the truth i guess we'll see i trust carrie coon yeah <laughs> um uh do you want to mention the other thing we, we yeah we there, they did there did reference you know, we we touched on this uh, in our last pod as well that there is usually one or two holdovers from previous white lotus cast although this has become sort of an anthology revolving around different white lotus resorts around the world so um Belinda played or Belinda is the role in Natasha Rothwell. She was the the spa worker, the masseuse that Jennifer Coolidge's character befriended in the last uh season. We'll be back. 
for the next season. So she will be sort of the transition character. Presumably she's moved on to a different location and we'll see her character again, perhaps working at the, the spa in the Thailand White Lotus. Yeah, I'm curious about that. She was in season one, wasn't she? That's Oh, that's right. She was yeah. Hawaii season one. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of curious about, you know, how, how did she get to Thailand and, and all of that? Yeah. That's the, that season one arc, she was a, kind of a let down at the end, as I recall. Yes. So that's, that's, right. a, that's an interesting tie-in. So, yeah, looking forward to White Lotus season three. We don't have a date on that yet. Um but I'm sure whenever it comes out, we'll have articles up on the site. Maybe we'll even talk about it on the podcast. Um, but we're here today to talk about True Detective. Yes. Let's get to it. Let's right. get to it. Um, spoiler warning. If you haven't watched the first episode of the new season of True Detective, as of yet, we are going to dig into the details of what happens in season four, episode one, titled part one, which probably we will just cut that redundancy in the future and just... Yeah. Grace calling them parts. Um, <laughs> True Detective Season 4, a.k.a. True Detective Night Country. Oh, lots of fun stuff going on with the titling. Um, blanket spoiler warning for this uh, first episode. And um, yeah, let's get to it. Okay. All right, so True Detective Night Country, Season 4, Part 1. This opens with uh, a kind of mysterious scene, which we'll talk about later, of a a hunter um, looking out over a group of of mooses, and and, uh, they're scared by something and running away, and then we immediately cut to what is a long night that's fallen over the fictional Ennis, Alaska, where the sun is set and not to be seen again for several weeks. Eight men have mysteriously disappeared from a remote research station after that begins. Um, after a delivery driver discovers that they are missing, they call in the local chief, Liz Danvers, played by Jody Foster, Jody Foster, and she leads the investigation the disappearances of these men while at the same time having to deal with a whole host of other issues, such as some uh, some type of family drama or with someone that she's um, that she is taking care of a lot of local local misfits and local trouble um the town seems to have quite a dark past quite a lot of dark shady characters within the town and then there's apparently a former partner or someone that she worked on a case with uh who's now state trooper Evangeline Navarro who takes an interest in the miss the missing person's case because it could lead to some clues of a six-year-old cold case of a murdered native woman that's weighed on her these past six years. Uh, seems that Danvers and Navarro had some sort of falling out. Uh, Danvers requested that she leave the police department to go work for the state troopers after not seeing eye to eye. So now they're forced back together in this, in this, uh, to solve this case of eight men that have been disappeared. Meanwhile, local resident Rose, and I guess is what is the spirit of her dead husband, uh, helps her identify and locate at least some of the bodies of the research that are they're frozen and buried in the tundra. This the scene or the episode ends with these bodies being discovered. And I guess we're off and running sort of what's the mystery here. What's the, what's the cause of this very much a dark, almost uh, mystical supernatural air to this. And we've got five episodes left to sort of solve this mystery. So 
that's where I leave it. Where should we start? Yeah. So maybe we should start with kind of parsing some of these relationships. Yeah. You know, um, as you mentioned. Um, one quick note I mean, on the tone, uh, I've seen some people referring to Silence of the Lambs, I guess, because of Jodie Foster of it all. And we'll talk about Jodie Foster and then so on. I, I got my vibes were much more of the thing. Yes. Have you, yes. you seen the thing? I mean, yeah, really... Actually, the Issa Lopez should have mentioned Issa Lopez wrote and directed this episode. And I think we also for all of them this season. I think she did an interview perhaps with the AV Club and she directly referenced the thing as one of the influences for this season. Well, I mean, it makes all the sense of the world because of right. researchers on an Arctic station and we're here. Yeah. I, like, I was like, this is like the thing. Exactly. Um, so we'll see. We'll see, you know. Uh, how directly or 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 whatever that's one big thing to talk about but yeah let's talk about the relationships first because you know i enjoyed the episode a lot it was kind of weird because generally speaking i like how um or i like it when tv shows have people communicating in a natural way rather than giving you an exposition dump yeah. you know yeah. Um, but I almost felt like it went a little too far with this one. <laughs> I, I almost feel like they were trying to not give us information about like all sorts of things. I, I don't know if you felt that way at all. Yeah, it, it did seem that they were being intentional about talking about conflict and where conflict has taken them and so we can sort of deduce what the things were that led to that conflict or the backstory behind all of it without spelling out anything. I mean, there were some moments of flashbacks, some moments of uh, exposition where we're discussing things that have happened in the past or that's when you made me go off and work for the state troopers. But, you know, most of it were sort of left to our own devices of how this all happened. Yeah. So it felt to be like it went a little far. That's just all. You know, because even when Navarro comes into Danvers' office, and they have this conversation. Yeah. It's like, is it her? It's like you could use the name of the person <laughs> from six years ago in this in this circumstance. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah, she knows who you're talking about and all of that. But um uh so um I don't know. Uh, it, it seemed you mentioned the family drama. Does this need to be presented as as much of a mystery as it kind of is? My take on it was that the young girl Leah is Liz Danvers' daughter, but yeah, that maybe not biological bad. daughter. Yeah, maybe not biological because at one point she references my father, and not in reference reference to either a former partner or spouse of of Chief Danvers or some relationship the ship that they may currently share. This is someone that sort of is a daughter figure or if not biologically the daughter of chief danvers and that there's been some sort of relationship or something's happened that's caused her to sort of take over the responsibility for leah and she's not, not approving of what leah is doing not necessarily the lifestyle but what she's doing what she's doing with her uh teenage yeah. friend um recording well, she shouldn't so, approve of that I mean, come on yeah i, mean, um, I don't want to be like a stick in the mud or anything <laughs> you know? I mean, apparently uh the you know her uh, you got a couple teenagers making uh, sexy tapes, and you yeah. know, like well, Liz Denver is like, she's absolutely right. Like you can't, yeah. you can't do this. People break yeah. up, and you end up with revenge porn on the internet, and all of this. And exactly. you know, I guess it's a problem that modern young people face. But yeah, this is what I piece together. I don't know if it'll get filled in, but that that Liz, that her husband 
died. You yeah, know, some, what, some what I'm piecing together is that she got together with this guy who had this daughter, mm-hmm. and then he died. And then I also got the feeling that he was killed by a drunk driver. Oh, yeah, that's a good reference as, as they encounter that drunk driver when they're riding together. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but again, Leah says something like, you know, it's weird how we never talk about that day when the thing happened. You know, yeah. the, yeah. it, it, it felt a little, like, again, it felt almost trying too hard to avoid uh, exposition. Yeah. That, that was my inference there. I don't I don't know for sure if that's right. Um, and, and we also get the sense that, that Danvers has not been in Ennis, but only a few years. Uh, it, se- it seems like she's cut. A lot of these other people are local, more native to this town, uh, but she's only been there a short period of time compared to compared to others. She came after this other case had started. Yeah. So I guess th- this is my guess, sticking with her family first. She came to investigate the Annie K murder and fell in love with this local guy. Yeah, and stuck around, or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, Navarro was working for the APF. The other figure we need to get in here is um, Hank. Is his name right? Yeah. So Hank there's Pryor's Hank, the elder. Hank Pryor and Peter Pryor, both of whom work for APF. So they work for Danvers. This is a father and son relationship, but doesn't appear to have any other. Uh, biological or romantic relationship to anyone else, just that they are uh, of the same family and yet both work for Chief Danvers. Yeah. And you get something of the feeling like Hank is a little disgruntled. And I don't know if, here's my question, right? Like, so at this point, Danvers is in charge. Right. Who was in charge before she came? Yeah. So this is this, I think we have the same assumption here that perhaps he was in charge got blamed for not solving this case, she was brought in to take over. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, so those are those interpersonal relationships at play. Um, and, and I think we hit on the main ones. I mean, there's also some stuff in here that seems a little to the side, which I guess I'll go ahead and mention now, like um, Navarro's sister, right? Yeah, that scene where she, she freaked out, and her name's Jules. Yes, so Navarro's sister um, seems to have some sort of history with hallucinations or seeing something or experiencing something and people are watching over her but it's something that's that's been there in the past there's something that has happened to their mother because she references how you're not like mom yeah i'm not like mom um but yeah there is sort of a i guess a more stable presence in 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 eventually navarro but her sister is, is having some sort of some sort of issue issue with hallucinations or something that she is um that she's experiencing in that regard yeah, that's just sort of there, but presumably it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. And then also you've got with uh, with Pete, he's got a, I don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend and child. Yes. Um, and, you know, and then there's also the brother of Eddie Kay. We have a scene with him. All of that's presumably going somewhere, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than just kind of like note those things are there. Yeah, so we should at least just touch on, okay, what do we feel like we know about the relationship between Danvers and Navarro that they had differing views about the cold case and Navarro can't let it go. Danvers says you need to grow up and move on. It's not getting solved. Um, and it seems like that's what sort of created the rift between them. Yeah. 
mean, I guess this is what I imagine. They're investigating the case. They hit dead ends. They're investigating it for whatever, however long um, before Danvers came to her view that this is not going to get solved, which he yeah. says to Pete in this episode, um, and that Navarro would not accept that and, yeah. and kept pushing it. Um, there is also in here that the victim, Annie, was an activist yes. who was um, bothering the muckety-mucks in town mm -hmm. uh, to an extent where the, the rich and powerful are potential suspects even. And so maybe there is some um, level at which Navarro was running up against those same forces or threatening to yeah. um, that uh, Danver shut down. There does seem to be this undercurrent of there are people that have come, maybe migrated to the town that work in these factories that do this, whether it's drilling or mining or whatever it is, um, as their as their career. And then they're also the more native indigenous population that there seems to be there's a lot of like personal, even romantic relationships there, but maybe the two groups don't mix well in general is what the, that's the sense i get i don't know if that's the case yeah i'm sure i'm not i'm by no means an expert in um yeah you know what what occurs in alaska this is uh, 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 there was a sign so ennis is not a real place right but um it seems to be barrow alaska there's a sign there was um this show, I think it was called something like the United Shades of America. Do you know what I'm talking about? W. Cuomo Bell? Yes, I've heard of this. Yes. I watched a little bit of that. There was an episode where he went to Barrow, Alaska. And there's like a shot in this episode that I feel like was in that episode of that show. Um, looking into this a little bit, apparently they were filming this mostly in Iceland. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, you're talking about like the farthest north you can go in the world and have exactly. a town basically um and so of course there are tensions between the outsiders coming in for whatever reason and the indigenous yeah population um and that that's certainly a play here i don't know yeah and to, and to be clear i, I did just briefly research this the navarro character is written to be a combination of Dominican and Inupiaq, sort of that's the native, uh, the, the the native side of her of her background. So um, the Inupiaq are sort of the I guess the native population that's in this group. That's the much the extent of research that I've done. Just don't want to discount that. Um, sort of those those people from that area. Well, yeah, maybe we should research that a little bit more as we move forward. And mm -hmm. I don't know, we'll, you know, see what what kind of ties in there. Um, Uh, we you jump to something. You have the research yeah. station. Um yeah, so the re I mean it is a good segue into the research station. The research station is sort of this melting pot of people from around the world, apparently, that have come there to do their experiments, apparently to help to study climate change, to study the effects of the environment on certain certain experiments that they're conducting there at the lab. Um, we don't have a really great extent of what all that is, only that there's, you know, they sort of list what their different areas of expertise are. 
but there is no uh there's no separator of of them whenever what this thing is that caused them to disappear every one of them is it is gone um yeah and so it, i don't get a lot of sense that there's a lot of interaction between the folks of ns and this research station other than just making deliveries um but yeah i mean certainly that's that's about to change danvers and her people have have emerged on it after the disappearances yeah so what happens is weird um, the one guy, I didn't take the time to learn all of these guys' names, by mm -hmm. the way. Me neither. Maybe that'll be a mistake moving forward. We'll find out. You know, maybe there'll be a point where, like, oh, this particular guy's name is worth knowing. Um, but given that they were all um, missing, and I presumed that they would be dead by the end of the episode, I didn't put in that effort. So apologies. Uh, but the one guy kind of freaks out, you know. Um, and he says, she's awake. Right. And there's a point later in the episode where Navarro is driving when she confronts the polar bear in the road. Um, when we hear she's awake. Yes. Again. Not clear to me if Navarro hears it or what, you know, like is it diegetic or, or what? Um there it felt noteworthy that all of the scientists did seem to be met. Yes, that is true. And certainly this has come up not just here, but in any analysis or review you'll see of this series is that there are certainly men in this in this series, but this is a in sort of the other side of the coin of season one. This is a very heavily focused on on women's season. Um these men are gone. Except we have their names, we have their backgrounds, but they're gone. Um there's some dysfunction between some of the other men we've seen on this on this show, but there is something about um, this. She's away. Clearly, we know we don't know what that is. We don't know what it's in reference to. We don't know how it has impacted these people that have that have uh, that have disappeared. But um, there is something, and like I said, it it. Let's see. So the first time you said is amongst the men at the research station. Mm -hmm. Then is with. Jodie Foster's character Danvers later, so there's that sort of event again. The separation of who can hear and who who can't. Um, it's just a really open ended mystery of what that means and what that represents. Yeah, who is she? You know, I mean, I guess part of what I'm trying to point out is a mundane answer doesn't seem to be available. You yeah. know, um, we're immediately kind of hitting on a sort of mystical element or supernatural element. Yeah. Um, and resonances with season one. Yes. Where I'm not sure we ever quite got a supernatural element in season one. You know, like there was a moment in season one where a lot of us thought, oh man, this is about to take a turn into cosmic horror, but then mm -hmm. it kind of didn't, you know? Um, yeah, I went back and reviewed a lot of the the plot points of season one to, to prepare for this and seemed like there was a um, I don't know what the right word is, an earthbound explanation for everything that happened in, in the end. Um, there were some very cultish, very mystical things that occurred, but it was all could be traced back to a group or a person or some experience that happened. This is, I mean, with what we see with the She's Awake, what we see with what, what these moose experience, 
the Travis character and what he's doing in the episode, there's some certainly something else, something extraterrestrial at play here. It, it certainly seems like it. I mean, if we wanted to be reductive, uh, you know, or scientistic, as it were, <laughs> like, I don't know what was going on with the moose. Or is it probably a moose, moose, or mooses? Moose, moose. I think it's moose. Anyway, moose, um, yeah. it seems like they, they get freaked out and they run and jump off a cliff, you know? Uh, maybe there's another like thing explained. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a naturalistic explanation for this kind of moose behavior, uh, possibly some shifting of electromagnetic fields or, <laughs> uh, or or what have you. You've got the thing with Rose, which I do want to talk about. Um, seeing who I guess is her dead husband. Well, yeah, you could say she's just hallucinating. Yeah, certainly could say that she's hallucinating. Uh, you know, there's even a reference I think by Navarro that she tells Rose. You know that Travis is dead, and she says, "I know." Sort of like it's it's no surprise, or it's not uncommon that this is happening. Yeah, but then he does his Tom York dance, and he points <laughs> her to the the. Did that remind you of Tom York dancing? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I laughed when I saw that. Our notes, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he he points her to the corpses, you know, so. Uh, we'd at least have to say there's something really coincidental going on. Um, but what happened to these scientists and uh, what led them out into the cold? How did they die? Yeah, maybe they just died from the cold, I suppose. And what or who or how did someone write on the board, we are all dead? Um, you know, this was a something immediate happened to them. Or is this more of a gradual something something that they experience, you know, a la the thing, and then someone has the ability or the 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 wherewithal to write on that board before the last of them is taken, or you know, it's just something unexplained right now. Right. I mean, it, you know, okay, so it could be something like, oh, we're infected by some parasite that we're familiar with, and. Yep. That guy's showing severe symptoms, and we aren't all yet, yep. but we're probably going to, and we have to contain that and not, like, infect the Fungians guy, right. and we're going to just go and, and kill ourselves and get out of here and, uh, you know, that leave that message behind on the whiteboard. <clears throat> It's and weird, though, that this is it, a mystery. Sorry, go it ahead. Is, it is weird, and especially in that... I think when we see and hear that she's awake for the first time, it's some one of those men who has this sort of sudden moment of just as he freaks out, says that he, the guy's behind him, you know, making the sandwich on his TikTok or whatever. And it's just sort of a surprise. He doesn't seem like any of the others that we witness in that moment have been affected by anything or experience anything. This one guy does. So then what happens? You know, we just don't know yet. Right, and whatever it was, it was enough that he didn't need his sandwich. Exactly. exactly. And the tongue. Where did the tongue come from? <laughs> We're going to find some something more right. out about the tongue. It's been separate tests and everything. Denver says it's a native woman's tongue, noting the marks on it, which he thinks are from, like, you know, looking on thread or, or what have you. Um, if so, uh, where to come? How, how did it get there? Um, if not equally, where do they come from? How do they get there? I mean, like the idea that one of them bit off their tongue and spit it out or cut off someone on someone other researcher's tongue and left it there, it, it's probably not. Yeah, but the, and the fact that 
both Danvers and Navarro, I think Danvers first, Navarro then learns that, you know, the, the, the sort of general belief is that this is a female native tongue, then ties it back into the cold case of a native female who was missing a tongue. So that's where she's now head first back into this, this case that she just can't give up. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, other weird thing I wanted to mention about the um, research facility, the TV, which they struggled to turn off. Yeah. It appears to be stuck not only playing Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but playing this particular scene over and over again. Yeah, it's not just looping the film, which I guess would be reasonable to assume if you just turned on a DVD, but it's stuck on this parade scene in Chicago for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it's a DVD, it could be looping that chapter selection. I guess that's a technological <laughs> possibility. It's been a long time since I put in a DVD, so I'm not sure what it does. Um, maybe these guys are really weird and set it up that way on purpose. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, ah, we, want, we want to see Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Looks thinking. Uh, and Jodie Foster apparently not a Beatles fan. Figure out a way to shut it down. She says no, not not a fan of their music. But uh, yeah, that that I, I mean, it's just maybe I've been thinking and watching too much Fargo. But that, that's one of those things that I think now where I'm good. It's going to be in my mind, and I think after six episodes, I hope there's some sort of reason or explanation of why that is. I, I presumably some sort of here's what happened to the research facility that caused this to to take place. But, you know, yeah. I, I don't know that we should, I can guarantee that that's going to happen. I don't know. But on the other hand, maybe this is the clue. You know, yeah. I don't, um, we don't know where this is going. Also, you mentioned, you know, Danvers says she doesn't like the Beatles. It's a bit more than that. <laughs> right? Like, I'm not a huge fan of the Beatles. I like some Beatles songs, you know, yeah. others not so much. This one, uh, in, uh, from Ferris Bueller, not a huge fan of the song. I would not put the song on to listen to personally. Um, but I don't know if I would be at the level of I really need to make priority one getting this goddamn song off. Yeah, and that's yeah. where she's at with it. Yeah. So maybe that'll tie into something down the line in some way too. Maybe she had a bad conversation. Bad, I mean, she had a bad experience with Ferris Bueller at some point. I mean, with the Beatles or with that <laughs> song. Yeah. Oh um, yes. Let's see what else we got here. I want to mention the opening quote. Yeah, um, that this seems of uh, real importance to get in there for people who may not have uh, noticed this or looked it up. Uh, the quote itself, of course, is striking. For we do not know what beast the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. Credited to Hildred Castain who is a character in the Robert W. Cha uh, Chambers story uh, in, in the volume, The King in Yellow, where this was a reference point in season one. Season one, the, like, the big bad was the Yellow King, right? So yeah. I don't know how, how far we go with this or if this is almost more like an Easter egg, um, but definitely wanted to mention that. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a pretty clear connection. I, I mean, go read or look at anything you want there are a lot of comparisons being made to season one not just in its quality but in certain themes or in the the sort of mirror reflections of each other how there are so many things that where this is cold and dark and female driven and was hot and 
and messy and, and led by two males and two other males that were interrogating them. You know, just a lot of reflection of each other in sort of different ways. And I thought this was a pretty interesting, oh, you are connecting these two things already. Yeah. Yeah. And it's entirely possible. Again, yeah. having only watched this first episode, I don't know yet. Uh, it's entirely possible that whereas season one gave a vibe of getting into cosmic horror or a real supernatural element, maybe part of the idea of season four is we're going to actually do that. We're going to actually dive into the darkness. Yes. And, uh, um, you know, what hides behind the dark or whatever, you know, like, because this setup certainly feels like that you know the the mystery of what happened at the research station doesn't seem like a mystery of looking for a murderer who's going to be a human being this is exactly right which can it then circle back to perhaps why they were never able, able to solve a case of six years ago is there anything that's the same there doesn't seem to be a lot of similarities they talked about this this woman who died she was beaten and kicked and had her tongue cut out we don't see that. Of course, we don't see much of anything with these researchers. They're frozen in, in ice when we when we first um, glimpse them. But, you know, is there something unexplainable about that first case that can then tie into the second? Um, and they've dropped this clue, not just the tongue, but this clue about the jacket that the girl was wearing was the same jacket that was being worn by one of the researchers. I think that's the connection they were trying to make. And well, so yeah, the same style, at yeah. least. It's at least the same style of Parker that Canvas is going to look for and yeah i'm really 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 curious as to how we're going to build connections between what's going on now and that cold case yeah Um, i'm not super interested in any more flashbacks to when navarro was in iraq or whatever yeah i I don't i don't don't need need any more of that we're probably going to get some more of it but i'm not a huge fan of that i'm with you i'd I'd like the story to play out and have this current timeline, maybe if it's going to explain both, you know, one of the, I think hallmarks of season one was this jump back and forth between what is it? 1995 and 2012, they just keep going back and forth and back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, I would find it perhaps more interesting if one story in this current timeline can explain both things simultaneously, you know, that'd be an interesting piece or interesting way to tell the story. It seems to be the setup. Yeah. You know? I mean, unless they're going to start, having actual scenes that occurred six seven years ago in in the um yeah episodes that are to come which i suppose is possible but yeah they did sort of introduce that with navarro standing over that body in the rain uh finding it noticing the the different things that that happened to it so i mean sort of the stage is set if they wanted to go that route but i think it's more powerful to do it one the other way right i mean the way that that plays is a flashback Right, yeah. as opposed to actually having multiple timelines in right. a lot of the show. So um yeah, we'll see what we'll see what they do with that. Definitely intrigued. Again, no one is dressed warmly enough, which is the <laughs> biggest piece of evidence that something supernatural is going on because they can go out in sub zero temperatures. Yes. You know, with, with nothing covering their faces or anything and uh no gloves, you know, and no, apparently yeah. just be fine. And Rose seemed to it seems like I don't know if she was barefoot. You know, I mean, it's uh, uh, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of stuff mentioned. You 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 referenced that this was filmed in Iceland. That there were days where they were filming when it was below zero outside. I mean, this is not just 
put in in post-production to make it look cold. They were actually filming in these sub-zero temperatures and they had to, you know, people were getting sick and people were, you know, unable to perform because it just was so, so cold. Yeah, they were dressed appropriately. Like, <laughs> how do the people dress who live there? Exactly. You know, exactly. It, like, uh, we're in, I don't know. And this is the last guy. Again, you look up the, like, average daily temperature in Barrow, Alaska or whatever is like negative five Celsius, you know, <laughs> and like, it's come on, man. The yeah. sun's not going to shine for a month. You know, it's cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, exactly. No, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting, very creative setting for, uh, for the show. Um, I, I just, you know, the, the whole, night country and just sort of this all happening under the under the umbrella of darkness i think it's just going to be a sort of a but literal and figurative subplot that's that'll i, I think will play very well towards what they're trying to achieve yeah me too do you want to say a little bit more about jody foster before we're done yeah just was lo- looking so i don't know if you've looked into this or not so obviously jody foster would think of as just, just this fantastic film star has several academy awards um, has done so much. Do you know the last time she was on TV when she was not playing herself or doing a voice? Oh, I didn't look this up. I'm going to throw a guess at you. Okay, I'm, I'm going to guess that she was like even a year. Um, can I can I just guess the 1980s? I was going to guess she was like on Growing Pains or something. <laughs> so she was a voice narrator for something in 2014. She was the voice in The Simpsons. She was herself. In a Statler and Waldorf episode in 2005, a couple of voice things in the 90s. Before that, she played T.K. Deering in a TV movie in 1975. That was the last time that she played a character other than herself on television. And this was a TV movie. Yeah, TV movie. Yeah. 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 I mean, this so, is a, a long, long time. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's True Detective had that element going back to the first season, too, which was like 10 years ago now yeah. you know, like you remember a couple years ago it was 10 yeah. um things have meaningfully shifted though you know Definitely. Definitely. i do recall though even 10 years ago kind of being like really matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson are doing television exactly you know yeah. but um in the intervening years it's really gotten much more um common you know uh for people who made a name in, in film to be doing TV. Yeah. You know, uh, I definitely think it fits to have Jodie Foster here and uh, I'm looking forward to her continued cranky old. Yeah. There, old there's a fact. Yeah. And she's apparently plays fancy football, which is awesome. Um, she, yeah. You know, but she awesome. doesn't like it. So I don't know. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's some good stuff out there. It's Lopez. I think has done some interviews saying that she had an idea and her idea kind of was based on something like the thing that you're talking about, which led her to go back to rewatching the movie Seven, which led her to go back to rewatching the movie Science of the Lambs, which led her to think, if I do this, I've got to have Jodie Foster. That's just sort of the the nature of this. They just thought that she, you know, she was piercing and powerful in that, and and uh, yeah, she was somehow able to con- convince her. And I think this is, I mean, this is clearly after one episode. I think we're we're all in on her performance. Oh yeah, absolutely. I forgot to look up where I recognized uh Hank Pryor from. Oh, oh yeah. Where is he from? Where do we recognize him from? Let's look um, it up real quick. Yeah, he was on something recently. 
Oh, this is this true detective is hard to look up on IMDb. I'm remembering that. Yes. So he was in Winter's Bone, The Sessions, Three Billboards Outside of Missouri. That movie had a lot of Oscar buzz. Um, and then a lot of TV. A lot of TV. All right, well. Yeah. He's I, I feel like there's something in particular, and maybe I'll figure it out before next week or something. And De Deadwood and Eastbound and Down are his two biggest things over the past 15 years. Deadwood. It's, it's, it's Deadwood. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely Deadwood. Um, all right, so this is fun. Looking forward yeah. to the rest of the season here. Uh, the following five parts. Uh, again, our plan is to be with you uh, each week for True Detective as it airs. Uh, we've been on Fargo season five. We're going to wrap that yeah. up on this coming Tuesday uh, is the uh, finale of Fargo season five. And then we'll be moving forward with um, True Detective Night Country, putting these out on, on Sunday night. At least that's the plan. Yeah. And now we've, you've given me a lot of fodder things to think about as I go go write my piece for Sunday night. So I'll have right. something Look out for, on for, the site as well. Yeah. Read, uh, read uh, Ryan's weekly articles on the site uh, also. Um, thanks for listening. Check out tvobsessive.com. Uh, read the stuff that we write, we care about. Um, subscribe to the podcast. You know, leave us a good review, please. If you like what you listen to, uh, you can check out our YouTube channel. You can subscribe on there. Uh, also, if you uh, prefer to use YouTube, and um, we'll be back on Tuesday talking about Fargo. Yeah, let's finish up Fargo and looking forward to. Keep going with True Detective. Okay. See you then. See you then.